we live in a world that's not very well. In fact, it's really quite sick. We only have to turn on the television, don't we? See the news, open the newspapers to see evidence of that sickness. Increase in violence, criminal activity, breakdown in family life, all of which can often have really sad and sometimes quite catastrophic consequences. Now, over the last century in our country, there's been a decline in the Christian faith. The traditional basis of morality are no longer accepted by everybody as the norm. So it's like we've got this sense of a moral vacuum at the heart of our nation. And perhaps, if we're honest, many of us will have known that sense of a moral vacuum in our own hearts too. We can see it expressed in all sorts of ways. A hunger for meaning and purpose in life. A search for answers to the problem of guilt. And that longing for a sense of community or belonging. Now, of course, as Christians, we believe that those longings are met in Jesus, that he's the one who can fill the vacuum, who can make all the difference to how we experience life. But it mustn't and it can't stop just with what we know for ourselves. If our faith is going to mean anything at all, it's got to find expression in the way that we live. Our vision statement as a church, as many of you will know, is living to make a difference and of being a Christian heart at the centre of the community. God wants to use us to influence and change the world around us. And this teaching in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's chapter 5 to 7, often called the Sermon on the Mount, tells us how we can do it. What sort of people do we need to be in order to have this sort of transforming influence on the world around us? Well, we're right at the start of our sermon series looking at the Beatitudes that start in chapter 5. And they kind of introduce us to the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Eight little statements that start, blessed are, dot, dot, dot. But you know what Jesus isn't saying here is try harder to live like this. It's not not kind of like a you must do this in order to get uh, brownie points in my sight. He's saying that when we live like this, we're actually living well, we're in good shape, and we'll be blessed. But that doesn't mean to say that we don't have a responsibility to try and cultivate those sorts of attitudes and habits in us. It's as the Spirit of God lives in us, as we're intentional about seeking to adopt these things, that we'll find that we're blessed as a result. Jesus' message was, of course, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near. And we pray, don't we, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as in heaven. So life in heaven is life where God's already king, and our prayer is, and our hope as we live, that the life of this world will become the present reality, now the place of beauty and delight that God intends, and he can use us to help make that happen. So the Beatitudes, if you like, are a summons for us to live in the present in a way that makes sense of God's promise for the future. To dare to believe that what might seem upside down actually in the end might turn out to be the right way up. So last week, Sai introduced us to the first four of the Beatitudes, which are kind of to do with how we relate to God. And now today we're going to look at the second four, which are more how we live in relation to others. So picking it up at verse 7. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, there are two dimensions to this. There's a sense of showing mercy in terms of giving practical help to those in need, rather like the story of the Good Samaritan. 
But there's also that sense of, of showing mercy where we've been wronged. And I think maybe that's the more challenging one, isn't it? Showing mercy where we've been wronged. It's not about us earning God's mercy. It's more that as we evidence that we show that we know what it is to be forgiven will be expressed in us showing mercy to others. Mercy is a divine attribute. It's a characteristic of God himself. And as God's Holy Spirit lives in us, it's something that he wants to grow in us too. And we can show mercy in all sorts of ways, big ways and little ways. They all count. Two or three weeks ago, we had our church weekend, and it came at the end of a week when I'd actually been under quite a lot of pressure. I'd taken my father up north for a funeral, and that had eaten into the week and put quite a lot of pressure on the time that I had to get ready for the weekend. And on the Thursday, I have to say, my stress levels were going through the roof. I think three times Chris found me dissolved in tears. Um, But by the Friday, I was beginning to feel a little bit more robust, but knowing I was operating really, really close to my limits... And a couple of things happened as the day went on that actually really had the potential to wind me up. Um, Little things, but things that I knew if I'd chosen to respond to them in in a different way would would have wound me up. But I just felt that sense of a check in my spirit of God saying, look, Julie, let it go. You know, don't make a fuss about this. And um, the ability to be merciful to the people concerned. And actually, I felt so much better because of that. It was a merciful outcome always round, but it did involve me making a choice. So next time you feel riled or irritated, why don't you try it? Be intentional about showing mercy to someone and just see if blessing doesn't follow. Then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, I think God's probably concerned more about our hearts than about anything else. And to be pure in heart is to be sort of unmixed, unadulterated, single-hearted in the way that we want to follow God, know him, love him. It means being ourselves as God intended, not being tempted to hide behind masks or to live out different roles in different situations. It means living our lives in the open, letting people see through us because we've got nothing to hide. But to be pure in heart, Jesus says, is to see God as he is. When we're pure in heart, we'll see God as he really is. Not in that distorted kind of way that often we do, where we attribute to God motivations and ways that actually aren't his. And it's so easy for that to happen, isn't it? Perhaps especially where we come through life and we've had bad experiences, um, maybe particularly of fatherhood, We think of God as Father in a way that actually he's not really, but we can't see him as he really is. And again, at the church weekend, um, the guy that was leading the teaching and the ministry, he led us each time at the end of the teaching in a prayer that included this phrase, thank you, God, that you're not mad at me. Thank you, God, that you're not mad at me. And there was one person there who found that actually they couldn't say that because that wasn't what they thought about their God. They, they just thought that God would be mad at them because their experience of, of their own father had been that he was always mad. It wasn't, they just didn't believe it, so they couldn't see God as he really was. But actually for this person, owning that and bringing it to God and receiving ministry really opened up transformation 
So even when we can't do it, we come and we bring what we are to God and allow him to cleanse our hearts. That's why as a church we're so committed to offering opportunities to prayer, to respond to God, to allow him to change us from the inside out so that in turn we can change the world. None of us has pure hearts of ourselves, don't we? None of us are completely pure. But God's promise is to cleanse us and heal us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And as we cooperate with him in that process, the blessing will follow. And then verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, children of God. And doesn't our world need peacemakers? Not troublemakers. It needs peacemakers, doesn't it? But often the lack of our own inner peace is what leads us into conflict with other people. So that call to peace is threefold. The call to peace with God, the call to make peace with ourselves, and then the call to make peace with others. And Jesus says that when we're peacemakers, we'll be called children of God. We'll bear the family likeness because God is the ultimate peacemaker. We only have to look at the cross to see that, don't we? To see the extent to which he was willing to go to make peace for us. He longs for us to find peace with him, peace with ourselves and peace with others. And sometimes that may mean facing difficult situations being willing to confront things that have resulted in a lack of peace. But it's worth it, because when the peace comes, we'll really be blessed. And then the last beatitude in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, living the life that Jesus advocates won't necessarily make us popular. He never guaranteed that. As Christians, there's a sense in which we will be a moral conscience in our nation. And that won't always be welcome. It may result in insults, in persecution. So we're not told to seek persecution, but we are told not to be surprised when it comes. And in fact, we're told even to regard it as a blessing. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, how upside down is that? How can that be true? Jesus goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before us, we got that reward in heaven to look forward to. But more than that, we've got the joy that comes with identifying in G- with Jesus in life now, of sharing in his sufferings. And I think for me, some of my most profound moments have come at times when I've been really up against it, maybe feeling rejected or betrayed or um, falsely accused of things, times when actually I've been really up against it on my knees and Jesus has come and stood beside me and said, I know, I know how it feels to be like that. And that sense of sharing in his sufferings and him sharing in our sufferings actually leaves with it an incredible blessing. It's something that Endures. So that's why I think Jesus says we're blessed when we're persecuted. So these beatitudes, these eight attitudes that Jesus told his disciples to live like that. And if they did, they'd change the world. And of course they did, didn't they? We only have to look at the story of Acts to see how that happened. And so can we. Then he goes on to develop the teaching by talking about us being like salt and light. In verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
In the days before fridges and freezers, salt was used as a preservative to keep meat from going bad. And there's that sense in which, as Christians, we're called to be preservatives in society, to keep it from decaying. In the message version of the Bible, this is what it says, that we're to be seasoning that brings out the God flavors of earth. But if we lose our saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Salt creates thirst. And if I'm living a salty life, others will begin to thirst for Jesus. Salt melts ice. So if we live in a way that's salty, the quality of our lives has the potential to melt even the hardest heart towards Christ. And then in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We can't kindle our own light. Somebody else has to do it for us. But Jesus himself is the light of the world. And as we look at his light, we reflect it, a bit like the sun and the moon. Jesus has brought us into the kingdom of light, and we in turn need to take that light into the world. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, by not withdrawing from the world, we're to get involved, to be like Jesus, not to be afraid of getting our hands dirty, to let our light shine so that our good deeds will show and it will glorify God as a result. There's a vineyard song that um, has stayed with me for many years that says, shine your light on us that all may see your goodness. Shine your face on us that all may see your glory. And I often make that my prayer. We're called to be salt and light in our workplaces. You know, so much, isn't it? That's frontline ministry. That's where we rub shoulders with people who may never have heard about Jesus. Maybe we'll be the only Christian that they meet. We're called to be salt and light in our neighborhoods, in our leisure interests, sport, music. They're great ways, aren't they, of getting involved, of getting to know people, of just being there and showing that actually it's possible to live life in a different sort of way. And we're called to be salt and light as citizens of our country, to get involved in local or national politics, to campaign for issues of justice, freedom and dignity. Okay, we may not all be called to be Mother Teresa's, but we can all play our part and make a difference. And if you're sitting there thinking, how can I do that? Come along and hear about Janice's work with the Peace and Hope Trust in Nicaragua this afternoon, three o'clock in the coffee shop. Come along and hear about that, or pick up a prayer card uh, and commit to praying for the young people as they're out in Uganda this next couple of weeks. Little things really do count. It only takes a few grains of salt to add flavor to something, and just a small little candle flame will give light. As Christians, we're not called to withdraw into a Christian ghetto. We're called to be distinctive. So salt's different from meat, And light is visible, to be like that city on the hill. This sermon series we've just begun about the Jesus lifestyle is all about God calling us to live differently. And you know, when he calls us, he always helps us to do it. He doesn't call us to do things that we can't do. And just know that as you live differently, people will be watching. You know, we'll never know, I think, how our lives have have impacted others. But as we live live differently, there'll be that sense of intrigue as the quality of our daily lives backs up our verbal opportunities. People will want to know what it's all about. We need to show the world that the gospel of Jesus really works, that it is good news for all people. 
So this morning, as we turn our face towards God and as we allow his light to shine on us, what I wonder is God saying to you? Maybe you're here this morning with that sense of knowing there's a vacuum inside you, a longing for something more. And today is the day when actually you can make peace with God, make peace with yourself. Which of those attitudes, those beatitudes, do you feel most challenged by? Challenge is good, isn't it? Because challenge invites us to respond. Why don't we ask God to give us opportunities to try out some of those different ways of being in the week up ahead? And then who are the people, what are the places where God might be calling us to be salt and light in this world? You know, wouldn't it be great if we could come back next week and say, yeah, it's not just about living to make a difference and being a Christian heart at the centre of this community. That's our church vision. But it's actually our church reality. It's what we've seen God do in us and through us in this week. So as we come towards a close, why don't we stand and uh, let's pray together. Let's invite God to just prepare our hearts to receive from him